1: What's up my friend, you are listening to Real English Radio, the only podcast you need to learn real spoken English in a practical and interesting way. I'm your host Tony Kaizen and I will be your trusted guide on your linguistic journey to proficiency in the English language. In this episode, you're going to learn how to talk about your daily routine by listening to a short story. The name of this story is The Daily Grind. The Daily Grind refers to the monotonous routine of everyday life particularly the tedious and repetitive tasks that one must perform on a regular basis. It can also refer to the difficulties and challenges that one faces in one's daily life, such as the stress of a demanding job or the responsibilities of raising a family. Now, the daily grind follows Jason, a middle-aged father of three living in New York City, as he navigates a typical day balancing work and family life. Despite facing daily challenges such as a hectic morning routine, a demanding job, and a difficult boss, Jason perseveres. His daily commute through the bustling city adds to the stress of his day. However, the love and support of his family give him solace and strength. Through it all, Jason remains focused on his responsibilities and finds comfort in his family's presence. So what can you expect from this episode? Well, first, I'm going to read the entire story to you from start to finish. There's seven chapters. Okay, chapter one is about his morning routine. Chapter two is about breakfast chaos. Chapter three is about Jason's commute. Chapter four is about his time at the office. Chapter five is about his dreaded meetings with his boss. Chapter six is about heading home. And finally, chapter seven is about family time. And then after I read the story to you, I'll explain the key vocabulary words and phrases. Now, there's a lot of useful vocabulary in this story, and I'm going to do my best to explain it all while also teaching you alternative ways to say things and express yourself. So I hope you've got a notebook nearby, because there's a lot to learn in this episode, all right? But let's not waste any more time, my friend. Let's get right into this story. Here we go. Chapter one. The Morning Routine Jason woke up to the shrill sound of his alarm clock, which pierced the tranquil silence of the morning. He groggily rubbed his eyes and reached for the snooze button, craving a few more minutes of precious sleep. But he knew he couldn't afford to linger in bed, not with his three children and a demanding job waiting for him. As he pushed the covers off and swung his legs over the side of the bed, Jason felt the familiar ache in his lower back. He sighed, realizing he was no longer a younger man. He stood up and stretched, feeling the tension in his muscles release, and then made his way to the bathroom to begin his morning routine. Jason turned on the faucet and the cold water splashed against his face, jolting him awake. He grabbed his toothbrush and applied a generous amount of toothpaste, diligently scrubbing his teeth and gums until they felt clean and refreshed. He then stepped into the steaming shower, allowing the hot water to soothe his sore muscles and wash away the remnants of sleep. As he lathered up with his favorite soap, he relished the scent of lavender and chamomile that filled the air. After drying off, Jason headed to the bedroom to get dressed. He put on a crisp white shirt and a pair of charcoal slacks, completing the outfit with the navy blue tie that his wife had given him for his birthday. As he tightened the knot, he glanced in the mirror, feeling a slight sense of pride in his appearance. Downstairs, Jason could hear the muffled sounds of his children getting ready for school. He could pick out the sounds of their footsteps, the rustle of backpacks being stuffed with books and pencils, And the occasional shouts from his wife as she tried to keep everyone on schedule. Chapter 2 Breakfast Chaos Entering the kitchen, Jason was greeted by the familiar chaos of a typical family morning. His wife, Emma, was simultaneously cooking breakfast, making school lunches, and attempting to tame their youngest daughter's unruly hair. Their two older children, Sophie and Ben, bickered over who would get the last spoonful of their favorite cereal. Jason decided to intervene, gently, but firmly, reminding his children of the importance of sharing and cooperation. He kissed Emma on the cheek, offering her a warm, reassuring smile before helping himself to a cup of steaming coffee. The sound of the coffee maker gurgling as it brewed was music to his ears and the rich aroma of the dark roast was intoxicating. As Jason sipped his coffee, he glanced at the clock and realized that they were all running behind schedule. He urged his family to finish up, knowing that they couldn't afford to miss their respective buses and trains. Chapter 3. The Commute With breakfast finished and everyone's lunches packed, Jason herded his children out the door and into the bustling streets of New York City. The cacophony of car horns, shouting pedestrians, and rumbling subway trains filled the air as they hurried along the crowded sidewalk. Jason dropped his children off at their schools, giving each of them a quick hug and words of encouragement for the day ahead. Then, he navigated his way to the nearest subway station, swiping his metro card and descending into the underground world of public transportation. The subway platform was packed with people, all jostling for a spot near the edge, eager to board the approaching train. The screech of metal on metal as the train rounded the corner was nearly deafening, but Jason had grown accustomed to it over the years. He squeezed into the crowded car, finding a spot to hold on to as the train lurched forward. Jason tried to focus on the rhythmic clatter of the wheels on the tracks, attempting to drown out the cacophony of conversations, coughs, and the occasional crying baby that surrounded him. He couldn't help but feel a sense of longing for a more peaceful and comfortable commute, but he knew that driving in the city's notorious traffic would have been even more stressful. Chapter 4 The Office When the train finally pulled into his stop, Jason stepped off and made his way up the stairs, emerging into the bright sunlight of the busy city streets. He walked briskly towards his office building, navigating through the crowds of pedestrians and the persistent honking of impatient drivers. Upon entering the office, Jason was met with the familiar sound of ringing telephones, tapping keyboards, and the low hum of the air conditioning system. He greeted his co-workers with a polite nod and a smile, making small talk as he settled into his desk and began sorting through the stack of emails that awaited him. As the day wore on, Jason found himself growing increasingly frustrated with the incompetence of his employees. He couldn't help but feel that he was the only one who truly cared about the success of the company, and he resented having to pick up the slack for those who weren't pulling their weight. Chapter 5. The Dreaded Meeting Jason's least favorite part of the day was always the afternoon meeting with his boss, Mr. Thompson. The man was notoriously difficult to please, and Jason often found himself on the receiving end of his harsh criticisms and unrealistic expectations. As he entered the conference room, Jason took a deep breath, preparing himself for the inevitable onslaught of complaints and demands. The sound of Mr. Thompson's voice dripping with condescension and impatience grated on Jason's nerves like nails on a chalkboard. However, he did his best to remain calm and composed, offering solutions and strategies to address the various issues that were raised. Chapter 6. Heading Home At the end of the workday, Jason felt drained both physically and emotionally. The thought of his long commute home was daunting, but he found solace in the knowledge that he would soon be reunited with his family. He retraced his steps from the morning, battling the rush hour crowds on the subway platform and doing his best to maintain his patience amidst the noise and chaos. As the train pulled into his station, Jason breathed a sigh of relief, knowing that he was only a short walk away from the comfort and warmth of his home. Chapter Seven, Family Time. Upon arriving home, Jason was greeted by the laughter and excited chatter of his children recounting the events of their day at school. He could hear Emma bustling around in the kitchen, the sizzle of dinner on the stove, and the clatter of pots and pans creating a comforting soundtrack to their evening routine. Jason took a moment to embrace his family, allowing the love and support they provided to wash away the frustrations and stresses of his day. As they gathered around the dinner table, he listened intently to each of their stories, feeling a swell of pride and gratitude for the life they had built together. Despite the daily grind and the challenges that life often threw their way, Jason knew that there was nowhere else he would rather be than with his family navigating the ups and downs of their shared journey together. All right, my friends, we have arrived at the end of this short story. What'd you think? Was it easy to understand? Was it easy to follow? Did you find it interesting or entertaining? Could you identify with Jason's situation, dealing with traffic and pedestrians and honking cars and city noise and air pollution and fucking crowded trains and shitty bosses with condescending comments and complaints and demands and shit like that. Could you identify with Jason's situation? I'm sure some of you could, right? But anyway, now we're going to go back to the beginning of the story and I'm going to try to go through here. I'm not going to explain each and every key vocabulary word because there's just so many, but if you want an explanation of all the key vocabulary words and expressions you can subscribe on Patreon and get access to the vocabulary guide in which I explain everything in more detail. But right now, I'm just going to go back and explain stuff that is a little more difficult to understand just hearing it and that I think you could use the next time you're talking about your daily routine. All right. So back in chapter one, talking about the morning routine, Jason woke up to the shrill sound of his alarm clock which pierced the tranquil silence of the morning. So poetic, right? So you probably know that woke up is the past tense of wake up, which just means to stop sleeping. But the shrill sound of his alarm clock, something shrill, let me open up my vocabulary guide. Shrill describes a high-pitched, sharp or piercing sound. And that is the next word, pierced, right? And to pierce is to penetrate or puncture something with a sharp object. So if you think about the shrill sound of an alarm clock, it's just like that high pitch beep beep, beep 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 early in the morning, man, and it feels like somebody's stabbing you in the ear with a knife, you know, right through your eardrums, just pa pa pa, and you want it to stop. So that sound is very shrill. It's like ee! that's a shrill sound, right? So that's what woke Jason up in the morning, piercing the tranquil silence that he was enjoying. So he groggily rubbed his eyes and reached for the snooze button. And groggily describes like a weak, unsteady, or dazed state, typically because you're sleep or you're sleepy, I should say, or you're sick. So if you think about what it feels like in the morning when you wake up and you're still kind of like half sleep and you're just like, ah, Man, what is going on? You know, somebody could say something to you and you wouldn't even understand because you're still kind of asleep. So he groggily just uh, just rubs his eyes, trying to wake up, remember where he's at and, uh, you know, get the day started. So when you wake up in the morning feeling kind of slow and sluggish and half sleep, you are probably feeling groggy. So he groggily rubbed his eyes and reached for the snooze button. And the snooze button is that button that we press to basically reset the alarm. And it gives us, you know, seven more minutes, eight more minutes or ten more minutes of sleep. And then the alarm will go off again. So when you hit that button, the snooze button, that's what happens. And just in case you don't know, to snooze is like another way of saying to sleep, you know. So the snooze button allows you to snooze for a few more minutes before you have to wake up and face reality. That's pretty much the idea, okay? So then let me skip. No, he said, he said, I said in the story, (laughs) he groggily rubbed his eyes and reached for the snooze button, craving a few more minutes of precious sleep. This is a very useful word. Craving is a strong desire or longing for something. Usually food, but not always, right? So it's a noun and a verb. So to be craving something means to have a strong desire for something. Oftentimes it's food, but not always. Like in this case, it's sleep. And a craving, the noun, is basically the longing or the desire for that thing. So I have a craving for pizza or I'm craving pizza. It's the same thing. It just means I really want some pizza right now. So you might go to your friends and say, man, I'm craving some pizza. You guys want some pizza? I got a craving for some pizza. Let's go get some pizza. Who doesn't love pizza, right? So that's what it means to have a craving or to be craving something. And in this case, Jason was craving a few more minutes of precious sleep, but he knew he couldn't afford to linger in bed. So there's two things I want to explain there. The first one is couldn't afford to do something. This is a very common thing to say, at least in American English. And so if you can't afford to do something, it means you are unable to bear the cost or the risk of a particular action or choice. So let's go back to the context. He knew he couldn't afford to linger in bed, not with his three children and a demanding job waiting for him. So the consequence or the risk of staying in bed, he wasn't able to bear that risk. He knows like, I can't stay in bed because if I do, the consequences will be very bad. I can't afford to do this. I cannot deal with the consequences of this action. So I'm going to do something different. I hope that makes sense. And you'll hear this all the time. I can't afford to stay here. Wasting time with you. The price of that action is too high. And it doesn't have to just be money, right? Because if I'm wasting my time with you, it means I can't spend my time doing something else. So I can't afford to stay here and waste time with you because I have more important stuff to do. So Jason couldn't afford to linger in bed. And to linger just means to stay or remain in a place longer than necessary. That's what it means. So you might be lingering around the house or lingering in bed. We'll use this context. You might be lingering in bed, just kind of like staying in bed longer than you should, longer than you need to because you're kind of lazy and you just wish you could go back to sleep. It's just another way of saying stay in bed, typically longer than you need to. And Jason could not afford to do that because he's got three kids downstairs that he needs to help get ready for school. And he's got a job waiting for him in the bustling streets of New York City. All right, let's continue. So he pushed the covers off. He swung his legs over the bed and he felt a familiar ache in his lower back. And an ache, which is a noun and a verb, A-C-H-E, ache, is just another word for pain. So he felt a familiar pain in his lower back. It's a very common thing to say. You'll feel an ache in your knees or an ache in your shoulder or your shoulder might be aching. In that case, it's a verb. So his back was aching or he had a back ache. Or you might have a toothache or a headache, right? It's just a pain in your teeth, a pain in your head, a pain in your back. Hopefully that makes sense. So he, he sighed, realizing that he was no longer a younger man. And this phrase right here, no longer, just means not anymore. It's another way of saying the same thing. So he realized that he was not a young man anymore. Or he realized he was no longer a young man. Same exact thing. So he got up out of bed and he made his way to the bathroom and to make your way to a particular location just means to proceed or to travel to a particular location or destination. So he's in bed, he gets up and he makes his way to the bathroom or he travels to the bathroom or he walks to the bathroom. He goes to the bathroom. It's all the same, but this is more of like a, an informal kind of colloquial way of speaking, if you make your way to this place. You just travel to this place. You go to this place. It's the same thing. But it's just putting more emphasis on the fact that he's traveling from point A to point B. He's making his way there, navigating his way there. I'm sure you get the point. You get the idea. I hope. If not, leave me a comment on Patreon or something like that. But let's continue. Jason turned on the faucet. He splashed the water against his face, jolting him awake. And so if you picture in the morning and you're still kind of half asleep, feeling kind of groggy and you splash some ice cold water on your face, it kinda of, just uh, gives you like this electric shock almost and it just jolts you awake. So to jolt is kinda of, it describes that uh, that fucking that surge of energy and you kinda of flex your muscles and it's just uh, almost like you got shocked by an electric wire or something like that. The cold water just jolted him awake. Right? So he grabbed his toothbrush and he starts diligently scrubbing his teeth and gums. So diligently Let me look at the vocabulary guide. In a careful, persistent, and hardworking manner. So he's just (laughs) brushing his teeth, scrubbing them really good. And to scrub just means to brush like with a lot of pressure. When you really want to get all the dirt off of something, you might scrub the toilet to make sure it's super clean. You might scrub your car to get all the dirt and debris off of it. You might scrub your teeth and gums to make sure your teeth are really, really clean. That's what it means to scrub. So then he stepped into the shower and he let the hot water water. He let the hot water <laughs> soothe his sore muscles. And to soothe just means to calm or to comfort or to relieve pain or stress. So if you think about a sore back or a back that's in pain, and you let the hot water run down your back, it just ah just soothes the muscles. It makes it feel More relaxed and comfortable, not so tense, not so much pain. You feel much, much better by letting that hot water run down your back and soothe your muscles and wash away the remnants of sleep. And the remnants of something is just like what's left over, what remains after the fact. So he has woken up and technically he's awake, but he still's got, you know, he's kind of still a little bit sleepy. And that hot water running down his back just washes all of the rest of those sleepy feelings away. He's finally awake and ready to start his day, right? And so as he lathered up with his favorite soap, when you're in the shower and you take a bar of soap or maybe you use like liquid soap and you rub it together, you're rubbing it, you're rubbing it, and then it creates the suds or the bubbles and everything. That is the process of lathering up, to lather up with soap means to rub it together until it creates those bubbles and those suds so you can wash your hands or your body in this case, all right? So Jason dries off. He headed to the bedroom. This is another way of saying he made his way to the bedroom. Remember just a second ago, he made his way to the bathroom to take a shower and then he headed to the bedroom. It's another way of saying the same thing. So if you head somewhere, it means you travel in a particular direction to get to that destination so I'm he- you might call somebody and they'll say, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just headed to the store. It means I'm going to the store. I'm currently in route to the store because typically wherever your head is pointed, that's the direction you're going in. So if you're headed to the store, you are traveling in the direction of the store. Hopefully that makes sense. So you're headed to the bedroom to get dressed. This is very, very common when talking about our daily routine, right? To get dressed means to put your clothes on. Really, all it means, but it's a much more, I guess, common way of saying put your clothes on. You might tell your kids, get dressed, get ready for school, right? Go and put your clothes on. It's the same thing. So he put on a crisp white shirt, some charcoal slacks, completing the outfit with a navy blue tie. And an outfit, let me find the actual definition. Let me see. I didn't define that. Hang on a second. Outfit definition. An outfit is a set of clothes worn together, typically for a particular occasion or purpose. So your outfit just describes the clothes you're wearing, but all of them. So you have your shirt, your pants, your socks, your shoes, your tie, your hat, whatever. All of those clothes together describes your outfit. I said that wrong. Your, the word outfit describes all of those clothes from head to toe. All the clothes you're wearing are what make up your outfit. I'm sure you get the idea. Right, so he glanced in the mirror, which is just another way of saying he looked in the mirror, but to glance is like to look quickly. So imagine he's looking forward and he looks really quickly to the side to see himself in the mirror, and he felt a sense of pride in his appearance. And then downstairs, Jason could hear the muffled sounds of his children getting ready. So downstairs just describes literally whatever's happening on the floor below you, because in a house with two or three levels, typically two right? You have the ground floor or the first floor. In the U.S., the first floor describes the floor that's on ground level. I know in other languages that's not the case, but in English that's the case. So you're on the ground floor, which is also downstairs if there's a second floor. And then you have to walk up the stairs to get to the second floor. So when you arrive at the second floor, you are upstairs. Because you have walked up the stairs to the second level. And then you might walk back downstairs. And now you are located downstairs. So it's a location. I am upstairs on the second floor. Or they are downstairs on the first floor. It's a very, very common thing to say. So downstairs on the first floor, he could hear his children getting ready. So to get ready for school, to get ready for work, to get ready for the day, just means to do everything that's necessary to be prepared to start your day. So it involves getting dressed, making breakfast, spending time with the kids, uh, washing the dishes, whatever you do in the morning before you leave the house, all of that is typically getting ready for the day, right? All right, so he could pick out the sounds in their footsteps, the rustle of the backpacks. I think that's the most useful stuff. Actually here, from his wife, he could hear the occasional shouts from his wife as she tried to keep everyone on schedule. And so to keep everyone on schedule just means to make sure that everyone's not late because you typically have a schedule. We wake up at 630, might take a shower and at seven o'clock we eat breakfast, but we need to leave the house by 8 a.m. Because if not, then we're late. Everybody's going to be late for school and late for work. So to stay on schedule just means to be doing things at the proper speed to make sure you're not late, to make sure you don't fall behind schedule, right? To be late for whatever you're doing. Alright, that's chapter one. Let me find some more key vocabulary in chapter two talking about breakfast chaos. So Jason was greeted by the familiar sounds of a typical family morning. His wife Emma was simultaneously cooking breakfast, making school lunches, and attempting to tame their youngest daughter's unruly hair. So simultaneously just means at the same time. So she was cooking, making lunch, and trying to tame their daughter's hair at the same time or simultaneously and un well actually there's two things to tame their daughter's unruly hair so let me explain tame and unruly give me a second so to tame means to control domesticate or make less wild or unruly and you'll typically hear this like with wild animals if you're trying to tame a lion or something like that you're trying to make it less wild, less... um, What's the word? trying to find a different word for it. But you know, a wild animal, an animal that doesn't live amongst humans and civilization, they behave in a particular way. But if you want to make it behave more like a domesticated animal, like a house pet, the process of doing that, of gaining control over the animal, would be taming the animal. But in this context, to tame their daughter's unruly hair and unruly means difficult to control or manage um, because it's disorderly or wild. So just think, or just try to picture when you wake up in the morning, somebody who has long hair, it's all crazy and over the place and it's tangled and it just doesn't look uniform and neat like you might want it to. So the hair is unruly, it's wild, it's crazy, right? And just so you know, unruly is a, a bit more of a formal word. You won't hear it all the time. But in this context, Their daughter's hair is unruly, so they want to tame the hair, right? So, back to what I was saying that her hair is wild, it's crazy, it's all over the place. And they probably take a comb trying to tame the hair, gain control of the wild hair, make it look more orderly, more neat, more presentable, more clean, right? So, just think about the hair as a wild animal and they're trying to gain control of the hair by combing it or brushing it or something like that, all right? And so, Sophie and Ben, the other two children, bickered over who would get the last spoonful of cereal. And to bicker, let me see, to bicker means to engage in a petty, bad-tempered argument or dispute, often repeatedly. And bicker isn't really something that you'll hear all the time, because you could also just say they fought over who would get the last spoonful of cereal. It's really the same thing. They were fighting over the cereal. They were bickering over the cereal. Bicker typically refers to verbal arguments where Fighting could refer to verbal or physical conflict. You know what I mean? But bicker typically is always just verbal. They're arguing about who's going to get the last little bit or spoonful of cereal, right? So Jason decided to intervene. He decided to get in the middle of them and make a change. Let me give you the actual definition. To intervene means to become involved in a situation in order to improve or change it, often by preventing a negative outcome. Yeah, so Jason decided to get involved in this bickering, these petty arguments over cereal. And he gently, but firmly reminded them, you need to share with your brother. You need to share with your sister, right? You need to cooperate. We can buy more cereal. You know, you get the last spoonful today. She gets the last spoonful tomorrow. Everybody shuts the fuck up and goes home happy, right? He had to intervene. And another word you might hear in relation to this verb is intervention, right? Let's imagine your cousin is addicted to some kind of drugs and their life is going to shit. It's going really, really bad. You and your family might decide to intervene or have an intervention and stop this from happening so that their life doesn't go any worse. Hopefully that makes sense, all right? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th.
0: Do you want to tell people the big news?
1: So he intervened, reminding them that they need to share and cooperate. Uh, Let me see what else we can explain here that's important. The gurgling sound of the coffee maker or the sound of the coffee maker gurgling. Now the verb gurgle is very specific. It describes that sound like if you have uh, a typical coffee maker, not some old school, more elegant one, but like one you might buy from the supermarket. When you put the water into the machine, And the water starts to run through the machine and drip on the coffee and create the coffee. You know what I'm talking about. That sound, (laughs) that sound is gurgling. That's what we call that. It's making a gurgling sound as it brews the coffee or as it makes the coffee, right? And that sound was music to his ears. You might say this in other languages, right? It just means it sounds really, 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 really good. For example, when I hear Portuguese, being spoken by natives, it's music to my ears. It sounds so nice and melodic. I just love it. It's like music, right? Music to my ears, and that could be anything—not just sound, but maybe something that somebody's saying. They might be saying something that you really wanted to hear, some good news, or something very pleasant that they're saying to you. And those words could be music to your ears. It's exactly what you want to hear. Perfect sound. Ah, oh, fantastic! I'm really glad you said that. That is music to my ears, man. All right? So the rich aroma of the dark roast was intoxicating. Now, literally to be intoxicated means to be under the influence of some mind-altering substance like alcohol or weed or something like that. You're intoxicated, typically alcohol, typically. If this person's intoxicated, it typically means they're drunk, right? And so obviously the smell of coffee isn't making you drunk. But when it, when we say intoxicating in this context, it just means like... Let me look at the actual definition. I don't have it here. Hold on. Intoxicating. Intoxicating of an alcoholic drink or drug liable to cause intoxication. Don't you just love the dictionary? Intoxication, the state of of being intoxicated, especially by alcohol. So the dictionary isn't going to help us on this one. But if we say that this smell was intoxicating, it's just like... You smell it and it's like, oh, man, imagine if you were just taking a shot of alcohol or a hit off of a joint or something like that. And it's just this peace, this sense of calm and euphoria and happiness just rushes over you. And when you smell that rich coffee in the morning, it's just like, oh, man, that is fantastic. It's intoxicating. It's like you've traveled to another world and you're just lost in this fantastic smell of coffee in the morning. It's intoxicating, right? So Jason sipped his coffee because you might drink the coffee normally, just like any other drink, but to sip means to take small amounts of the liquid as you drink it. Just you're sipping your coffee, not gulping it in large quantities. You're just sipping small quantities of the coffee, right? And then Jason realized that they were running behind schedule. So if you think back to Emma trying to keep the family on schedule or not late, Jason looked at the clock and realized that everyone was running behind schedule. So to be running behind schedule just means to be late. Because you have a schedule for your day. At seven o'clock, this needs to happen at eight o'clock, at nine o'clock, et cetera. So if you're running behind that schedule, it means time is moving forward, but you have spent too much time in this one place. So the world or time itself is moving forward and you are falling behind trying to catch up to your schedule that you made for yourself. I'm sure you get the idea. It just means you're late. You're late. You had a schedule, but you're going to be late for whatever events you had scheduled for the day. You're running behind schedule. Okay. All right. Let's move to chapter three, talking about the commute. So Jason herded his children out of the door. And this is like a figurative way of speaking. Because if you think about a herd of animals, a large group of cows or sheep or something like that, on a farm, the farmer might herd his animals in a particular direction. He might guide all of these animals to a particular part of the farm. So if you think about children as your kids or your pets or something like that, you might herd them, get all of them in a group and move them towards the door. In this case, he herded the children out the door. And when you hear somebody say out the door, it doesn't make literal sense, right? Because you're not in the door moving out of the door. It's just a common way of saying to pass through a doorway. So it's, if they move out the door, they go from inside of the house, they pass through the doorway and go outside. It's a very common thing to hear, at least in American English. They moved, he he herded his children out the door into the bustling streets of New York City. All right. And the cacophony of car horns, which is that bump, bump, when somebody's impatient or trying to call your attention with the car, that's the horn of the car, right? And so they, let me see, the cacophony of car horns shouting pedestrians and rumbling subway trains filled the air as they hurried along the crowded sidewalk. So to hurry along the sidewalk, just, it describes this, the idea of like moving very quickly or moving in a rush along the sidewalks. The sidewalk is a long, flat surface and you are traveling. It doesn't really make literal sense, but that's how we describe traveling across, which isn't really the right word, traveling along the surface. There's many ways to say it, and I don't want to confuse you because prepositions are always difficult, but hurrying along a surface, in this case, the sidewalk, just means rushing along the surface, moving quickly along that surface. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see I'm trying to illustrate what it means to move along a surface. But uh, that's the best I can do without taking too much more time. But it just means they moved very quickly down the sidewalk because they were late. They didn't want to be late for school or late for work. So they hurried along the sidewalk. They rushed along the crowded sidewalk. And maybe you don't know what a sidewalk is because you have the street where the cars drive or travel. But on each side of that street, at least in the States, it's very common to have sidewalks, which is literally the side of the street where people walk. That's why we call it the sidewalk, okay? All right, so Jason dropped his children off. Is an important phrasal verb, to drop off. And that just means to leave someone or something in a particular location before you leave. So you have your two kids or your three kids. In this case, you take them to school and you drop them off at school, which means you take them there, you leave them there, and then you go to work. And then Later, you might come back to the school and pick them up. That's the opposite of drop off in this case. To drop them off at school means to leave them at school. To pick them up from school means to go back to that school, get the kids, and then leave and take them home. Okay, so he dropped them off at school. Then he navigated his way to the nearest subway station. And to navigate your way to some place is just like a figurative way of saying to go to some place because to navigate is like to, you're looking at a map Trying to follow the right directions to get to your location, but he's not really like navigating, like he's on a ship or something like that. It's just a figurative way of speaking. You won't hear it all the time, but hopefully now you understand what it means. And then he swipes his metro card and descends into the underground world of public transportation. So if you have a metro in your city or a train or something like that, you might have a card that you need to swipe through the machine so that it can take some credit. And give you access to the actual station and then you enter and get on the train. You cannot enter the actual train without swiping your card or paying for a ticket or something like that. He's just describing the action of running the card through that machine to charge your card um, for that particular trip. I'm sure you get the idea. So the subway platform was packed with people. If the subway platform is packed, or if any place is packed with people. It means it's full of people, full of people. So the subway platform was full of people or packed with people, right? Everyone was eager to get on the train. And the screech of metal on metal as the train rounded the corner was nearly deafening. So the screech describes that sound. If you think about metal rubbing against metal with no lubrication, just dry metal on dry metal, it's screech. That's a screeching sound. And I'm sure you, you've heard that before. When the, when the train hits the brakes or pumps the brakes, it when it needs some new brakes, it makes that sound. That's a screeching sound of metal on metal. And that sound was nearly deafening. So a deafening sound is something that's so loud, it feels like it's going to make you go deaf. You're going to lose your hearing because of how loud the sound is. And obviously that sound isn't actually going to make you deaf, at least not in the short term, but that's a very, um, not poetic, but it's a more advanced way of describing a very loud sound. So the, the screeching sound was really, really, really loud, or the screeching sound was deafening. Use that one the next time you talk about a very loud sound. All right. And then it says, Jason had grown accustomed to this sound over the years. So to grow accustomed to something is a slightly more formal way of saying to get used to something. And I know this phrase confuses a lot of English learners. To be used to or I used to because those are two different things. So it gets confusing at times. But to get used to something or to become accustomed to something or to grow accustomed to something. Let me look at the vocabulary guide. Chapter three. Hang on here we go. To grow accustomed to something means to become familiar or comfortable with something through exposure or experience. Now, I'm sure for people who speak like Latin-based languages, accustomed sounds familiar because that word exists in your language. But in English, to me, it sounds a bit more formal. I would say to get used to something much more often than I would say to grow accustomed to something. But they are the same thing and you can use both. There's no problem with that. Okay. So he had become accustomed Or he had gotten used to the screeching, deafening sound of metal on metal over the years. Okay, let me see. How about drown out? So Jason tried to focus on the rhythmic clatter of the wheels on the tracks, attempting to drown out the cacophony of conversations, coughs, and the occasional crying baby. So to drown out a sound... To drown out something, in this case a sound, means to make a sound inaudible or less noticeable by producing a louder sound or more dominant sound. So, if you think about people around you talking and making conversation, it's it's relatively loud, but the sound of the wheels clack 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 clack, clack clacking on the track or the train tracks. If you focus on that in your mind, that sound might become louder than the sound of people talking around you. So the, the louder sound is drowning out the quieter sound. Hopefully that makes sense. That's what it means to drown out a sound, okay? And so during that time, Jason couldn't help but feel a sense of longing. So if you can't help but do something, it means you can't stop yourself from doing something, all right? It's an expression indicating that someone is unable to prevent themselves from doing something often due to a strong impulse or emotion. So in this context, you have the rhythmic clatter of the wheels and people talking and coughing and babies crying. And so during that moment, Jason couldn't stop himself from feeling a sense of longing or strong desire for a more peaceful and comfortable commute. He couldn't help but wish that his commute was more peaceful and more comfortable. He couldn't stop himself from feeling this desire. He just couldn't help it. It's a very common thing to say in English, okay? All right, moving on to chapter four, talking about the office. The train pulled into his stop, which just means it arrived and stopped at this particular station. It pulled into his stop and Jason stepped off the train, right? So initially you step on the train and then when you arrive at your destination, you step off the train, okay? And he briskly walked towards his office building. Briskly just means relatively quickly let me find the actual definition briskly quickly or energetically often in a way that shows purpose or determination and this isn't a word that you'll hear every day or every week or even every month but it does mean just with some energy to it you know what I mean if I briskly walk to this place I energetically or quickly walk to this place probably because I don't want to be late for work right And so again, he heard the crowds of pedestrians and the honking of impatient drivers. So if you think back to, I think it was chapter one, maybe two, people with their car horns going, the action of pressing on the horn to make it make a loud sound is honking, right? So the horn, it honks. So if you honk your horn, you make it go, right? I'm sure you get the idea. That's what we, that's the word we use to describe that. So then Jason was met with the familiar sound of tapping keyboards, the hum of the air conditioning system, and he greeted his co-workers with a polite nod. So to nod your head means to move it up and down, you know, as if you're saying, yes, I am nodding my head. You know that motion you do when you want to tell somebody yes without saying the word yes? That is nodding. So a polite nod as to acknowledge somebody without having to say any words. You just, you nod and smile. It's like a Nonverbal way of saying hello, right? And then Jason settled into his desk. So to settle into a particular place or location just means to become comfortable. So you just imagine you arrive at the office, you sit in your chair and you kind of just settle in and get comfortable. You get used to your new location for the next eight hours, right? You settle into your desk and you sort through the emails that are waiting for you. So as the day wore on, As the day wore on, to wear on, which is the present tense or the infinitive, I should say. If something wears on, it means it progresses or continues, usually in reference to time, often implying a sense of tediousness or tiring. No, tediousness or tiring duration. That's what it says. So just think about like a long, tedious day. You have all these tasks and all this work to do. And it's just, ah, it just seems like the day can't move any slower. Every minute feels like an hour. Every hour feels like a day. The day is just wearing on because if something is wearing on you, it's like grinding away at you and just slowly but surely it takes away layer after layer of your spirit. In this case, the day is just going on and on and on, right? The day is wearing on. So as the day wore on in the past, As the day wore on, Jason found himself growing increasingly frustrated with the incompetence of his employees, the lack of skill, the lack of professionalism, right? The lack of technical ability, the lack of attention to their work. Jason was increasingly frustrated with this incompetence of his employees, right? And he resented having to pick up the slack. So what does this mean? To pick up the slack means to compensate for the deficiencies or lack of effort from other people often by working harder or taking on additional tasks. So if your team members, your coworkers, employees, or whatever, they're not doing enough work, you have to pick up the slack. You have to pick up their slack, which means you have to do stuff that they're supposed to do to make sure everyone doesn't fall behind. So Jason resented this, having to pick up the slack for those who weren't pulling their weight. And so to pull your weight, means to contribute or do your fair share of work or effort in a group situation. So just imagine, figuratively, just imagine the situation. There's five of us and we're trying to pull this heavy object down the street. If four of them or four of us are not pulling our weight, only one person is trying to pull all of the weight, but everybody needs to pull their weight, right? But now don't think about it literally. Think about it more figuratively. If you think everybody has a particular responsibility to achieve the overarching goal for today, you have to do a particular task, which means you are pulling your portion of the weight. You're doing your portion of the work. And then she has to pull her weight. I have to pull my weight. Everybody pulls their portion of the weight or everybody takes care of their set of responsibilities so we can achieve the overarching task. So Jason was tired of having to pick up the slack or pull other people's weight at his job. He's tired of this shit. People, everybody needs to do their part. Everybody needs to pull their own weight so that I can focus on my tasks and go home happy. But that wasn't happening. And Jason was getting tired of that shit, right? All right, cool. Let's move on to chapter five, talking about the dreaded meeting. So Mr. Thompson, Jason's boss, was very difficult to please, to please. In other words, he was very difficult to satisfy. It's another way of saying the same thing. And Jason often found himself on the receiving end of harsh criticisms and unrealistic expectations. So to be on the receiving end of something means to be in the position of being the recipient or target of someone's actions or comments, often negative or unpleasant. So let's go back to the context, the actual sentence. Jason often found himself on the receiving end of his harsh criticisms and unrealistic expectations. So if you imagine the boss just yelling and complaining and talking shit, it's almost as if Jason's being hit in the face again and again, receiving these harsh criticisms and unrealistic expectations. He's been on the receiving end of all this negativity, right? It's just, a, it's just an expression that you will hear every once in a while, not necessarily every day, okay? So he entered the conference room, he took a deep breath preparing himself for the inevitable onslaught of complaints and demands. So onslaught describes a fierce or destructive attack, often with a large number or volume of something. So it might be an onslaught of bullets. So somebody just hits you with a bunch of bullets, right? But in this case, it's more figurative. The complaints and the demands Remembering I said getting hit with all these negative comments and complaints and criticisms. Just this onslaught, this large amount of, this gigantic amount of complaints and demands. It was inevitable, which means he could not avoid it. He knew it was coming. There was no way to stop this tidal wave of negativity that he was going to receive from his boss, Mr. Thompson. And the sound of Mr. Thompson's voice dripping with condescension. Dripping with condescension. This is like a a figurative way of saying full of condescension, all right? Because if you think of a cup and you fill it with water and you keep pouring even after the cup is full, water will start to drip from the cup. It'll overflow and start to drip from the cup. So imagine filling a cup with condescension so much that it starts to drip down the side of the cup. So if his voice was dripping with condescension, it was full. Of condescension. And condescension is an attitude of patronizing superiority, often expressed through actions or words that treat others as inferior or less knowledgeable. So just imagine this boss talking in a way, like as if he was truly superior to Jason, right? He's looking down at Jason as he hits him with complaint after complaint. Criticism after criticism or critique, I should say, critique after critique, just boom, 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 negativity on top of negativity. And you could hear it in his voice that he viewed Jason as inferior, right? He spoke in such a condescending manner. His voice was dripping with condescension and arrogance and a sense of superiority, right? All right, cool. So it grated on Jason's nerves like nails on a chalkboard. This is something that we'll often say when it's something that we really don't like hearing. It sounds really bad to us. So if something sounds amazing, we'll say it's like music to my ears. If it sounds horrible, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Like literally, if you take your nails, put them on a chalkboard, it makes that screeching sound, right? So the sound of his boss's voice just... Ah, It fucking grated on his soul as if it were like nails on a chalkboard. It was really, really bad. It it was terrible. It was a terrible experience to hear this condescension from his boss. right? But he did his best to stay calm and composed. And he tried to address all the various issues that were raised. Right. So let's move on to chapter six. And I don't know if you guys are going to be able to hear this, but outside of my building, they're cutting the grass right now. So. Hopefully, it won't be too loud. I guess I won't find out until I edit this episode, but let me apologize in advance. Anyway, moving on to chapter six heading home. Jason was drained physically and emotionally, and the thought of his long commute home was daunting. So, if something is daunting, it means it just appears difficult or intimidating, right? It, it causes you to feel discouraged. So, Maybe the idea of becoming fluent in a foreign language seems daunting to you. Just thinking about it, you feel that, oh, no, it's going to be too difficult, man. I don't want to do that shit. It's going to take so long and be so hard and take so much time and blah, blah, blah. Just the idea is daunting. You feel defeated before you've even started, right? That's what it means if something feels daunting to you. But Jason found solace in the knowledge that he would soon be reunited with his family. So solace is just comfort or relief from times of distress or sadness or suffering. So when he thinks about being home with his family, that gives him a sense of peace and relief, even though he has to go through this long commute home, which felt daunting. So it feels discouraging and negative and just overwhelming. But thinking about his family, it's all right. I'm going home to my family. I'm going to see my wife and my kids. It's no big deal. It's all good, right? So he retraced his steps, battling the rush hour crowds. This is a very common thing to say when talking about your daily routine and commuting to and from work because rush hour is just the peak hour of traffic and highway congestion and so many people on the roads and in the streets. It's the peak hour. Everyone's in a rush to get home or to get to work. That's rush hour. So in the morning, everybody's rushing to get to work that's rush hour and the freeways and the streets are packed with cars and people and on the way home there's another rush hour when everybody's trying to get home you get the idea all right all right let's move on to the final chapter number 7 talking about family time so jason got home he hugged the wife and kids and he could hear the sizzle of dinner on the stove and the sizzle describes that sound like if you put a frying pan on the stove You turn on the heat and maybe you put like a nice steak on the stove or in the frying pan on the stove. That sounds that it makes when it's cooking, that sound is sizzling, right? So the sizzle, that sound of a sizzling steak on the stove and the clatter of pots and pans. And so the clatter describes, you know, a bunch of pots and pans, bing, clang, cling, clang, 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 clang. That's the clatter of pots and pans that he could hear. And that was creating a comforting soundtrack to their evening routine. Now this is like a figurative way of speaking because the soundtrack is the music kind of like in the background of a movie or a video or a TV series or something like that. That's the soundtrack, the sound that you can hear in the background. So he's at home just spending time with the kids and in the background, in a different room in the kitchen, he can hear the sizzling of the steak and the clatter of the pots and pans and that kind of acts as the soundtrack to his life story or to the evening routine, as it says here in the story, right? And so in the next paragraph, as they gathered around the dinner table, this is a common thing to say because to gather means to kind of come together, bring lots of things together in a, in a small space. And so to gather around the dinner table means maybe we're all in different rooms, but we come together and we're seated around the table, literally, because the table is probably circular and each of us has a place around that table. So we gather around this particular object, in this case, the dinner table, you know what I mean. And so Jason was listening intently to each of their stories about the day and he felt a swell of pride and gratitude. A swell of pride or a swell of gratitude just means an overwhelming sense of gratitude and pride. Just think about a wave. Washing over you. A wave of gratitude and pride just washed over him as he listened to his family talk about their day. He just felt so grateful to have his wife and beautiful kids, right? And despite the daily grind, or ins- let me find the actual definition before I continue that. Despite, used to introduce a statement that contradicts or contrasts with a previous statement or circumstance, indicating that the latter, or the second thing mentioned, does not prevent the former from being true. So let's go back to the actual sentence. Despite the daily grind and the challenges life often threw their way, Jason knew that there was nowhere else he would rather be. So even though he has to experience the daily grind and the challenges and the traffic and his shitty boss with his dripping, you know, his voice dripping with condescension and all these negative things, all these challenges, even though he has to deal with that and experience that Monday to Friday Jason still knew that there was nowhere else he would rather be than with his family so it's like man I forgot this family all these responsibilities I have to deal with all this shit but despite that even though that's the case I still wouldn't rather be anywhere else but right here with my family my family my kids my wife they make it worth the difficulty. They, you know, they make it all worth it. Being able to be with them and spend time with them and hear about their stories and see their smiles, hear their laughter, that makes all of the negative stuff worth it, you know? It gets me through a rough day. It gets me through those dreaded meetings with my shitty boss. So despite the fact that I have to deal with all this negative stuff, I still wouldn't trade it for anything because I have all this positive stuff over here that makes it worth it. Hopefully that makes sense. And so back to the sentence, despite the daily grind and the challenges that life threw their way, let me find the definition. So through their way means directed or sent uh, in their direction, such as comments, objects, or I didn't read that correctly at all. Let me just define this myself. Despite the challenges that life threw their way. That's just like a figurative way of saying despite the challenges that life Presented him with. Because if you think about like a ball, for example, and I throw it in your direction, imagine life throwing problem after problem after problem at you. It's throwing it your way or in your direction, which is another way of saying the same thing. So, despite the challenges that life often threw in his direction or presented him with or hit him with, Jason knew that there was nowhere else he would rather be and would rather basically means to prefer. So if he would rather be with his family, it means he prefers to be with his family. If I would rather watch TV than listen to music, it means I prefer to watch TV. You see what I'm saying? So there's nowhere else he would prefer to be than with his family, navigating the ups and downs of their shared journey together. And the ups and downs just describes the positive and negative experiences of life. When something's positive, you're you're riding high, you're feeling good, everything's positive and then boom, you get hit with some negative shit and you go low. Your energy is low, your happiness is low, you're just feeling low and negative and sad or frustrated or whatever. And then something good happens and you're riding high again, you know? So the ups and downs of life, the good and the bad, the positive and the negative, the rewards and the challenges. You see what I'm saying? It's a very common way to just talk about The nature of life, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. You know, I guess it's both all the time. Nothing's all good or all bad, right? Life is all ups and downs, like a roller coaster. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But my friend, there you have it. Now you should have a ridiculous amount of useful English vocabulary that you'll be able to use when talking about your daily routine. From eating breakfast and getting ready for work, to commuting, dealing with your boss, and unwinding at the end of a long day. Now, I highly suggest you listen to the episode at least one more time to review everything that you've heard today. Also, consider subscribing on Patreon to get access to the episode's script and vocabulary guide so you can really learn effectively with the podcast and support my work at the same time. So the link will be in the description of this episode. Now, I want to thank you so much for your time and your attention, my friend. I hope you've enjoyed the show I'm your host, Tony Kaizen, and I will talk to you soon. Peace.